Well, hello there, and welcome to this Calvary Longview audio message. We're so glad you've chosen to take a moment to discover with us the truth that can be found in the Bible, and we pray that you'll be blessed by what you hear. Today, Pastor Al is going to be sharing with us a message from the book of Jeremiah. We can't wait to get into God's Word, so crack open your Bible, grab your note-taking tools, and we'll get started. Wonderful meal, huh? The catch of the day. They did a great job. They, did, they always do a great job. And so those those meals come out about once a month. Um, however, they just feel led and they, <laughs> they put it together and we get blessed by it. I mean, they come in there in the afternoon. Uh, Gabe and I will say, well, what, what, what are they making for dinner? And I said, I don't know, but in about 10 minutes you can smell the smell of it. And we'll play the guessing game. <laughs> But it's always really good. Hey, uh, turn in your Bibles to Jeremiah chapter 3. And if you need a Bible, raise your hand and the guys will bring you a Bible. The ushers will bring you a Bible. We are, this is our, our third uh, chapter. We, we are kind of picking up a little bit of pace, well, chapter at a time, but we're, we'll pick up a little bit of pace maybe next week. But looking at, we're studying through Jeremiah on Wednesday nights. We're studying through 1 Thessalonians on Sunday morning. We'll be in chapter 4, and I just find it ironic. I've said this before, but I'll say it again. I just find it so good that the, both, of these, both of these books are coming together. First Thessalonians is because we're looking for the soon return of the Lord. And then you have Jeremiah who's heralding the message out to the people, and nobody's listening. It's like the world we live in, isn't it? I mean, hey, but listen, don't give up hope, because I shared with our staff on Tuesday that Peter was in prison and they were praying for him. He had no hope, did he? He was chained to the elite guards. And what happened? They prayed. An angel came and said, get out of here. And he didn't have to say, wait, I forgot the key. I can't find the key. He went and he just said, the, the shackles fell. And he they moved and they escaped. And it's just like, if you pray, that's one of my prayer this week. Really, he's been praying that God would, would remove shackles from people's lives. Just come and be set free by Jesus Christ. So we're in the part of Jeremiah, and here we are. Uh, I, I think we'll all remember the religious leaders of Jesus' day that he warned us about. We just went through in our summers, summer study through the Beatitudes, through the uh, Sermon on the Mount. And remember, Jesus, they were, oh, Jesus was always the center of their attention, but for the purpose of many times trying to catch them in their uh, religious loopholes, you know. And the thing that they should have done was stuck to the Scripture because they should have read the Old Testament they should have been have that a part of their lives because we see the Lord speaking very clearly, even in the Old Testament, uh, about the things that the leaders of that day would take place, and they should have they should have warned, they should have been warned themselves, speaking of the leaders and the Pharisees and the Sadducees in the days of Jesus. And so they've come to this time to where where we see the Lord speaking, the uh, religious leaders and the birth of the church and the church's birth should have saw heard knew that the lord was speaking and they knew they should have known of the standard that they were giving that would oppose god's word and uh, they should have stuck with the word of god they should have stuck with the very um, impact from the word of god and the heart of god and so here the prophet jeremiah he's continuing from where we left off in chapter 2 last week and he's speaking to a backslidden judah and he's speaking metaphorically here as he does. He's speaking about uh, to the, the tribe of Judah, to the southern tribes. 
And um, he's speaking to them in a way that you're not going to be able to misread what the Lord is saying. He's so crystal clear. I love that about the Word of God. It's just so crystal clear. The message was to Judah. They were the capital. And uh, the message was to them, to the, excuse me, the capital was Jerusalem. And the, the reason why God wants to give this message out is because this society around them is crumbling. It is just nosediving in. It's imploding. And he's wanting, wanting to send a message out that they would hear the word, and not only hear the word, but that they would respond to it. I like that about our Wednesday nights. We see we have communion again tonight, so after we're done with the message, we're going to take time and just once again responding to the Lord through communion, and then we're going to, um, you know, just see, okay, Lord, what do you have for me? What is it that you have for me? And that's what I want to hear. Well, with the, well, the world crumbling around uh, the people in Jerusalem, God wasn't giving up hope, and he was sending this message. Look, I'll send you a lifeline. And the lifeline is that I've got a plan. And if you'd hear me, and not only hear me, but respond to me, and do what I've asked you to do, then things are going to be okay. But there's always a warning. There's the warning out there. And uh, they, God wanted them to come back to the one who had delivered them. You know, when, when I was in the back, and then I moved up before during worship to come up to teach the Bible study, I was hearing these voices from, from you guys and gals of a bunch of people that have been saved by the blood of the Lamb. You've been blood washed. You know how awesome that is? Because you remember that it was the Lord that saved you. And it's always the Lord. It's, you know, we go back to it every time. It's the Lord, it's the Lord, it's the Lord. And when we, when we mess up and we don't do what we're supposed to, we remember, ah, the Lord saved me. Forgive me, Lord. Here we go. Let's move with this again. You're such a good, good father. I love the songs that we sang tonight. Such a good, good father. Well, Israel was known to be the wife of the Lord. Israel was to be uh, this picture here that Jeremiah is pointing out. He speaks to his people. He's letting them know that you're acting as an unfaithful wife. And they're actually playing the harlot to the point to where they're playing the harlot with anybody that would have them. They're just really um, sleeping around in a spiritual sense. And so this picture here of this passage is clear what God is saying to His people, referring to His people, to how they're living their lives, and there's no doubt that they're, they, they're not going to be able to misunderstand. It's going to hit them right to the nail on the head. There's no way of missing this truth, and he and that's what He wants. I mean, God's kind of black and white. There's not 50 shades of gray in the Bible, you know? It's like, look, I say this and as far as the way you're to live your lives, and we know the way we ought to live our lives. And, and the Lord sees his bride and he's saying, you know what, um, better watch out. Um, I, don't, I don't agree with what you're doing. And I think it's today in the day and age in which we live because remember when, it, when the Bible speaks about when the Son of Man returns, will he find the faith? Will he find faith in the people that have called upon his name, in the people that have asked for his forgiveness, wash me with the blood, cleanse me and make me yours, then as time goes on, is he, or, or is he still going to find people living by faith? Now you look out, you read the seven letters to the churches of Revelation, and then you look out in the world today because that has a great implication uh, and uh, application to the world that we live in and the church that we live in uh, around us in the world. And we see that, I wonder what God would ask even of us. I wonder what he's going to say even of us. So I want to operate by faith. Am I still walking by the faith, keeping the code? Am I trusting him and all of these things? And I still have the love that I should have for him. And do we still have the love that we should have for him? And so, he, you know, here, going back to Jeremiah 3, he wants his people to take 
marriage and, and uh, divorce very seriously. He's going to refer to Judah again as being the unfaithful wife. And he says, basically, this is what it is. Don't do it. Don't be unfaithful. Plain, plain and simple. So we're going to cover this. Look at verse 1 as we begin. The idea of divorce, he says, they say if a man divorces his wife and she goes from, uh, from him and be, becomes another man's, may he return to her again. Now, I'll cover this in just a moment briefly. But it's a common thought. Yes, is that the case? That's the way we normally operate today. I mean, if, it would be awesome to see a, a couple that has been separated come back uh, together, show the grace of God. But he says this. Listen, he asked the question, May he return to her again? And would not that land be gratefully polluted? But you have played the harlot with many lovers. And, uh, you know, here's the idea that you see that the, the very thing that he wants to talk about marriage is marriage breaks down society. And he just, remember, he's just casting back and he's looking at something that we'll get to out of Deuteronomy. But he's saying, you know, you, you break down marriages, you break down society, break down families, and all of a sudden you have pretty much nothing. And everybody, there's, there's no standard of living anymore. And so it pollutes the land. The land is just filled with sin, fill, filled with, um, uh, you know, just a bunch of muck. There's, it's just polluted. You have no standard. You have nobody you know, working through things. You have nobody doing what they're supposed to do. And just as he was talking about the unfaithful marriages, it's a very clear picture of their relationship with the Lord. I mean, look at, look at, is there a time that may he return to her again? And would not the land be greatly polluted? But you have, he said, played the harlot with many lovers. And here's the grace. Yet return to me, says the Lord. Is that long suffering? Isn't that much grace there? Where you see that God is looking out, obviously, and He's saying that you have done so bad, but here's the thing, I want you to return to Me. You know, the Scripture says one thing, but oftentimes people, even leaders, speak differently of it. And they kind of make a twist it or a bend, they'll abuse it in one way or another, stretch the truth or abuse it. But, when they do that, they become nothing more than what the religious leaders were doing, and it becomes a religious practice instead of something like uh, this love relationship that we're to have. We may not, we're, you know, we're to have a love relationship with the Lord, and we may not like what it says because it, it, it goes against our pride, it goes against our, our character in a sense, our old man, old woman. But when we give in to that, we're finding out, I'll do anything for you. You know, I say that to my wife, I'll do anything for you. Well, what do you want me to do? No, I'm not doing the dishes. No, I'm just kidding. But I'll do anything for you. What, what do you want me to do? And I'm just showing her that I love her that much. I'll, she would do the same for me. And that's what we do. When we see the Lord and he, and he speaks to us and He gives us a word, it's like, you know what? I want to do that. Why? Because Not because I have to, because it's written in here as law, it's commanded of me. But I get to because you died for me. You sent your son to die for me. And out of that, I want to respond to you back with love. And I want to do what you asked me to do. So, this, you might say, or they say, refers, you know, if you think it might refer, uh, thinking of the people, this is what happened. Uh, but they, the people had adopted, they were saying, you know, uh, if a man divorces his wife, the people had just adopted what the religious leaders were teaching them. Look, if the pulpits are filled with garbage, then the people's ears are going to be filled with garbage, and their hearts are going to be filled with garbage. They need to have the Word of God. It's not that these, these leaders weren't leading them with the right heart. Nor were they leading them with the Word of God. And so we might say that 
if a man divorces his wife and they end up getting back together, as I was alluding to, that would be a beautiful picture of God's grace. But listen, what, what God is saying, and he's referring to the children of Israel, to, to Judah primarily here, is he takes a very familiar passage and he breaks it down for them. In Deuteronomy chapter 24, you can turn there or I'll have it up on the screen. Uh, it says this, when a man takes a wife and marries her, and it happens that she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some uncleanness in her, and he writes her a certificate of divorce, puts it in her hand, and sends her out of his house. Um, when she has departed from his house and goes and becomes another man's wife, if the latter husband detests her and writes her as a certificate of a divorce, puts it in her hand, and, and sends her out of his house, or if the latter husband dies, who took her as his wife, then her former husband who divorced her must, listen, not take her back to be his wife after she has been defiled. For that is an abomination before the Lord, and you shall not bring sin upon on the land, which the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance. And so, with the idea of getting divorced and then getting back, what God is saying is, look, I don't want you to get in a bad habit of that stuff. I don't want you to get in this habit of just thinking, well, you don't like it. She made lumpy mashed potatoes. She can't cook right or whatever the case may be. I'm just going to peace out. I'm going to go find somebody that does. And then you do it again. And the next thing happens. You always see grass is greener on the other side. The whole idea is to keep marriage that you'll work things out. You're going to work things out and you're going to put God at the center and say, God, we need your help. You know, you've heard me say the irreconcilable differences people always use on their certificate of divorce. You've got to work those things out. That's part of working things out with the Lord. You know, just, hey, we've got to get the Lord in the center of this stuff. But the, the thing here is that, you know, instead of jumping from one marriage to another, this is what God is saying. You come to me and don't jump around. Don't, don't, you're, what you've been doing is you've been going from one pagan a God, one deity, supposed to be a deity to another pagan God, to another pagan God, and then you want to come back to me. And he says, this is the picture that I'm showing you. It shouldn't be so in your life that if you're split up that you shouldn't even be brought back together. But you got to work things out. you got to look about how you're going to work that out. And I tell you, not many today are, are, are working things out. When you talk about marriage, they just jump from one marriage to the next. But obviously Jeremiah is referring to here those who are playing the harlot. They're jumping around playing the harlot and he's telling them, listen, in religion, there's no hope for you. In religion, there's no hope. How do you come back in religion? Then you got to do 10,000 times better, good, better things than you did the worst things. How do you level it out? The yin and the yang. How do you do all this stuff? Do I start praying more, reading more? It becomes a religious act instead of, God says, listen, yet, he said, return to me. I'm glad that there's hope and grace in God, aren't you? I'm glad that I don't have to jump through hoops, but when I find myself not doing what God wants me to do, and listen, no matter how bad a person is, no matter how bad they walk away from the Lord, no matter how big of a hole, deep of a hole that they dig, I'm so glad that we don't have to build a ladder to try and climb our way out. We just need to surrender all of our efforts and say, God, would you help me? Yet God's there. Yet, although that this has taken place, the Lord says, you return to me. And again, even today, same thing. People that may be out there in, in the world, they, they've once walked with the Lord, now they've got a needle in their arm. And these are true things that are happening. They're not being moms and dads because they've walked away from Jesus. 
They're doing drugs or alcohol. And then their kids are seeing them doing these things. And then they're saying, now what do we do? Now the kids are rebellion. And there's walls put up in the family because, you know, we're not seeing people the way we should, especially seeing our kids the way we should see them. And so we got this big problem. But God says, yet return to me. That's a call of God, is it not? In our society, it's the same way. You look out there and you say, well, there's a lot of been a, a lot of harlotry, spiritual harlotry going on, but don't give up. Don't give up. Why? Because God is always there. He's saying, come. Come. That's a message. It's a message of hope. And I love it. Yet, return to me. That's God's grace when he says that. Yet you return to me. So it doesn't matter how big of a mistake, sin, stuff that we made our lives out to be, we return to him. And it's not just by coming to church. You guys hear me say this quite a bit because I want to make it clear. Coming to church is a great thing and returning to church, but it's, it's coming to church. We've got to change our minds on the sin that we've done, that, that we've been involved in. And that comes through repentance. Repentance. And then allowing the Holy Spirit to move in our lives to help us change our hearts towards that sin that we were, you know, so stumbling ourselves in. That comes through repentance. And that's where the Lord says, return to me. You know, you come to church is one thing. You kind of fold in, you kind of blend in. But there's a, there's a trouble and there's a trap in that. We need to come back to Jesus. Come back to Jesus through repentance. And that's what the Lord is testifying of here. God testifies His great love. He didn't ask them what they were doing. He knows what they were doing. He knows how far off they've been, but He doesn't say, you know what, i got this and that. And he'll tell them some of the things. You know, i got all these things against you, and you better do this. He doesn't say that. You return to me. I'll meet you there. I've got love. I've got mad love for you, he says, you know. And I'll tell you, if you feel like you've been unfaithful, return to him tonight. Unfaithful to him. Return to him tonight. See, when was the last time, I, I, I don't get out much, but I do listen to plenty of messages, but when was the last time you heard a message of repentance in the church? A lot of times it's like, feel good, you know. You know, some equate repentance with hellfire and brimstone. When in reality, repentance should be a good friend of ours, right? Repent. And because it keeps us from hellfire and brimstone. I mean, when we just, just the whole thing of, you know, we come to the Lord and we repent of our sins, like, Lord, I want to be yours. I, whoop, I'm sealing you now. You're safe from the hellfire and brimstone. And then we just keep repenting to keep it current, keep things current with the Lord. You know, Lord, I messed up today. And what does he say? I knew you were, no, he doesn't say that. He says, I'm glad you're back. Let's sit down, let's talk about it. How can I help you? Well, see, this is what it's like with the Lord. We want to have that. He calls us to this place. And then look at what he says, because our actions will have consequences. He says to, to Judah, he says, lift up your eyes in verse 2, the desolate heights and see. Where have you not lain with men? So he's saying, you know what? God knows every action upon a person. Where have you not lain with men? I've seen everything you've done. Isn't that embarrassing? You think, wait a second. God sees everything you've done. You know, you guys, some of you guys have heard this. You've been around long enough. But when I first got saved, because I came out of the drugs and alcohol, I was messed up. Still am a little bit. No comment. But I used to think, man, when I heard God was always had his eyes on me, you know what? I used to think that he literally, I'm watching all the time. And that's true, though, is it not? But now he's not watching us with the way to say, you know what? I'm a clobber. He's watching to say, I'm watching you because I love you. And I want to help you. 
And you know what? So these guys, he says, you know what? You've lain, where have you not lain with men? You've been all over the place. All these practices, pagan practices, all over the place. He says, by the road you have, you have sat for them. And, and what this is referring to is like a prostitute waiting on the road, waiting for the next group of guys to come through. Or in the case of the spiritual idolatry, is waiting for the next wind of doctrine to blow through, you know, to see what we're going to be a part of now. What are we going to do next? What's going to entertain the people? But he says this, By the road you sat for them, like an Arabian in the wilderness, you have polluted the land with your heart of trees and your wickedness. You see, Judah, the, Judah's desire for her, her idolatrous lovers was just as plundering a plundering nomad in the desert. What they would do is they would wait for a passing caravan to plunder. They're just waiting there, like licking their chops. When is the next sin coming from? When is, where can I, you know, where's the next opportunity to sin? And because of what they've done, there was consequences that were withheld from them. In verse 3, he says, Therefore the showers have been withheld, and there have been no latter rain. You have had a hardest forehead. You refuse to be ashamed. So this actually refers to, well, listen, you're hanging out with the wrong crowd. You're looking for a good time. And in the end, you're open for abuse. You're, you're, your whole life, you're going to fall into this trap. You know, you ever think that, oh, I'm just hanging out with them. They're cool people. And then you find out you don't have the money to pay your dope bill or your bar bill. Get out of here. They don't really love you. They don't care about your family. They don't care about the way you're raising your children. All they care about is what you got coming to them. They want to know that. And, and you know, you got to be, gosh, I'm not going that route. They really don't care. And where have you lain? It speaks of, you know, the, just these people. Where have you lain? He tells them. You've been laying all over the place. You've been playing this hard. You've been sleeping around with the enemy. And you're seeking after their lovers. You're looking to plot your next sinful act. What are you doing? And there's a penalty with consequences. Listen, in this case, God says, I'm going to withhold the rain. They needed rain. Rain brought the crops. Though the crops don't come, then the farmers don't work. The farmers don't work. The truck drivers don't work. The truck drivers don't work. The marketplace doesn't work. The marketplace doesn't work. You go without food. It's just the way it is, right? So he withholds one thing and he says, you're all going to suffer for it. It's just, I mean, it's the way God is. One thing. And, and, and God's, you know, like that. He just says, you know what? I can use this thing. In this case, uh, the, I'm going to withhold the rain. But God can, and he will at times withhold the blessing due to one's unfaithfulness. Listen, we don't, we can't be like a dog returning to his vomit and then expect to just run and jump into his lap in a time of need with this stinking vomit fresh breath. Say, God, I'm here. He doesn't want us to do that. He knows if we return as a dog to our vomit, then he wants to forgive us. But during that time that we're out there, blessings can be withheld nationally, individually. It's not every time that because, you know, we see a storm coming through, there's a lack of, or, or a lack of provision that is due to our unfaithfulness. But God can use these things. I mean, I'm not saying that he, he does it all the time. You know, people say, well, the, the Katrina, well, that was a hand of God on that. You hear all the, the newscasters say, this was an act of God. I think that's so the insurance companies don't have to pay. <laughs> Blame God. But you know what? It's just that he withholds his blessing and he can withhold his blessing. It's not every time he does that. But, you know, I think a lot of times we don't want to give God any credit. Like, oh, no, it's okay. It's just part of the way things go. But there might be times that he does that. And here it's very clear that he says, you know what? You're not going to have any rain when you need it. And you're not going to produce the crops. You're not going to be blessed. You're not going to have, you know, the things that you need. And he says in verse 4, will you not from this time cry to me? 
my father. You are my guide of my youth. I mean, this is God's desire. He says, I wish that you guys were like the youth that we just, we would have a fun time. I was back in the youth area. Uh, just look at all these kids, these teens. I'm just saying, they're all got smiles on their face. They're all, they're all having a good time. That's what it's like. You know, and that's the heart God has for us is that we would call out to him. He would refer to have that relationship like a son to a father. Remember uh, Romans, Paul said in Romans 8, 15, he says, For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. Such a good, good father. But we Christians, just like Judah, they had this privilege of calling out to God. We could call out to him. I think it's been a little distorted today. Not the calling out to God, but the fact that we can't picture a God, a, a, a Father who is so loving and caring, and so trustworthy, so passionate, so long-suffering. It's hard for us in today's society, isn't it? We don't have good examples. But we have to learn to trust in the Lord the way He says. And He says, you know what? Will you not from this time cry to me, My Father, you are the God of my youth. He will remain, or will He remain angry forever? Will he keep it to the end? Behold, you have spoken and done evil things as you were able. But instead of calling out to God, what did they do? They just continued in their sin. They just continued to live in their rebellion, their rejection. Why not repent? Why not repent? Why not just call out to God? I mean, this is a, it's a message for the world, isn't it? It's a message for people that have once tasted and seen that the Lord is good and they backslid and walked off and they've gotten themselves and they've dug a hole for their lives. They can't seem to get out. Listen, repent. Repentance. I mean, how blessed does a person who is living in sin think that they can go on spirit without spiritual imploding? How far do you think that person can go on being blessed? I mean, you think... Oh, come on, why am I not being? And then we get mad at God because we're, our lives aren't being, you know, provided for in some way or another. Something's going on, he's withholding something. And we're like, well, well, God says, you know what? I just want you to call out to me. I want to be your father. But you just like ran away. And he longs to have that fellowship with us. He longs to have that, that love. I mean, he has that love for us, but he wants to have that, you know, hey, dad, dad I just love you. I just, I, I want to come to you. And I want to have that relationship. He knows what we've done and He knows what we're doing. And that's the grace of God. He knows everything about us and we don't deserve it. That's why it's called grace. And, 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 and He desires for us to call out to Him and be healed. That's what He wants. Think of how fast we can turn this nation around if the message of the gospel, the true gospel is being brought out and remember that it's just not believing, but it's through repentance that one is regenerated. And they come to faith in God. They come to faith in Jesus Christ. And imagine how people, their eyes would be open to see, I don't want to live the way I'm living. That's the way I, that's what I did many years ago. I mean, I was just like that. I said, you know what? I don't want to live the way I'm living. What am I going to do about it? Well, I don't know. So I came to, when I came to Christ, it was like, that's it. He's the answer. And from that moment, I look up, I continue to look at him and say, I'm so thankful that I'm not back there anymore. I'm so thankful that I'm not in those days living in that world, doing that, or living, living in the world, but not of that world. So thankful. And so the, the, the things that, the decisions that we make, they're going to have consequences. Sometimes 
if people don't feel like they're, well, I'm just not being blessed. I don't, just check it out. There's things that I will tell people. They come to me and say, you know, man, I'm just not being blessed. And I say, wait a second, why don't you do something? Why don't you look at a couple things in your life? Number one, are you being faithful? Are you being faithful? Well, what do you mean? Well, I'm just being faithful to the Lord. Are you doing what He wants you to do? Number two, are you being faithful to Him? Are you, are you providing? Are you trusting Him with your finances? Number three, I said, they go, well, I, yeah, I got all those down. I said, well, you know, then, um, you know, the Lord always has the ability to stretch you. <laughs> he always holds that card and says, you know what? I, I'm not punishing you and you're being faithful, but guess what? It's like John the Baptist. I may have you go through something that you may not think is so appealing, but I'm going to ask you a question. It's like, yes, John the Baptist, are you offended because of me? Are you offended because of the things I have you go through? And that's a, that's a common thing that I look at. I say, no, you know what, Lord? If I'm going through this and somebody's going to receive some glory out of it, uh, you know, they're going to use it for your glory, I, I, I'm, I'm good. Verse 6, you see that Judah, they came up to this uh, problem. They didn't learn from the mistake of others, the, the Israelites to the north. And so in verse 6 he says, The Lord has also said to me in the days of Josiah the king, Have you seen what backsliding Israel has done? She has gone up on every high mountain and under every green tree, and there played the harlot. And I said, after she had done all these things, return to me. And that's the grace of God again, isn't it? But she did not return. And her treacherous sister Judah saw it. And I saw that for all causes for which backsliding Israel had committed adultery, I had put her away and given her a certificate of divorce, yet her treacherous sister Judah did not fear, but went and played the harlot also. So it came to pass, Though her casual harlot, uh, through her casual harlotry, that she defiled the land and committed adultery with stones and trees. And yet for all this, her treacherous sister Judah had not turned to me with her whole heart, but in pretense, says the Lord. Here what God is pointing out through the prophet Jeremiah is, listen, you saw, and you saw what happened to the tribes to the north, how they backslid, how they were out there. You saw the chastening. That went on in their lives. But you didn't listen. They didn't listen. You didn't listen. You didn't see that. I didn't never had, you know, I tell this story. I had younger siblings, but they were way older than I was. My, my two younger brothers saw the mistakes I made. And when I got chastened by my father, you know what they did? Of course they laughed. But they never got caught doing the same things that I did. They learned a lesson. I'm not doing that. Right? Well, Judah didn't look, they looked to the north and they saw the consequences and the chasing that would come upon Israel, but they did nothing about it. I mean, the consequences were real. Many people were suffering because of this sinfulness and this rebellion. You know, they didn't turn. They didn't turn. Haven't you seen people flounder before? Once they're so on fire for the Lord, they're just like, yes, I'm there. And then all of a sudden, they turn and you see their lives in misery. It's just like they go from one extreme to the next. And they, man, they were just winning people to Christ, so faithful. But because of compromise, usually is what takes place, something comes into their lives and they come there. And all of a sudden, the next thing you know is they're not living in the same home. Divorce sets in. The kids are becoming rebellious. All these things are 
just on and on and on and on. There was no standard of living there. And you see these things happen. This is what, this is what Judah has saw. They saw these things happen. And, they, and some people think, well, I can just handle sin. I, I mean, I used to do it all the time. Now I'll just do it every now and again. And that's the compromise. And they begin to go downhill with their life. And all of a sudden, they look. And uh, they're, they're gone. They're nowhere around. And I can, I mean, just been in the ministry for over 25 years now. And I look out there and I can, just numerous people come to mind. How they were once so well, so well off. Moving a family out to the country so their wife, family didn't see all the muck that, that went on in the city. It was crazy. These things apply today as well. They apply today. I mean, though Israel had run off, she never returned. And we see the people that have made bad choices. We see the circumstances. We see what they lived through. It ought to just minister to our hearts to say, you know what, I don't want to go there. It's a problem with Judah. They, they never listened. They didn't watch. Judah didn't learn from the mistakes of Israel and they went off and continued to do their own thing. And that's where some people will get it, especially our teens. They'll look. When I was an 11-year-old, 10-year-old, I used to see, well, what do they do for fun? Well, they drink beer. That's what I used to do. So I was an 11-year-old, I said, wait, well, they're having fun. Let's go get some of their beer and take it out to the shed. It was a bad move. See, I, I didn't learn. I didn't understand. Well, they didn't have no money. They were broken. They always argued. I should have looked at the lesson there. But I didn't. You see, Judah didn't learn her lesson. So whatever repentance it says at the end of verse 10, whatever repentance that they had, it was only in pretense. They didn't come with this whole heart. They came in pretense. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, I shouldn't have done that. Listen, in the days of King Josiah, when he was uh, desiring to bring the spiritual reform to the nation, listen to this. In Second Chronicles 34 33, it says this. Then, it's, uh, thus Josiah removed all the abominations of the country that belonged to the children of Israel and made all who were uh, present in Israel diligently serve the Lord their God all, the, all his days, and they did not depart from following the Lord God of their fathers. So Josiah removes the abominations that were out there, but the problem was the people didn't remove them from their hearts. Just like the people of Israel when they came out of Egypt. They might have been removed out of Egypt, but they still had Egypt in their hearts. See, the thing here, when you see this, is Josiah, it says, made all who were present. Um, you can't make anybody do anything. You can't just make them do anything with their heart. You can make your children clean their room, but you ever see that place to where the little boy, he says, you sit down there and you be quiet. And the parent says to that kid, and the kid says, well, I may be sitting down on the outside, but I'm standing up on the inside. It's the way we are, isn't it? We're rebelling right, we're rebelling right there. Well, see, you can't just make people. They've got to want to do it from a willing heart. And the change that King Josiah brought only lasted while he was a king. When he was passed on, you know what? Uh, there was no more reform. There was no more people. They go back to their ways, slide right back into it. And so the thought that comes to me is, I pray that we're not a people like that at church. We come and play church. We've got to be careful in that. This isn't a place to be holy. This is a place to get refilled. This is a place to, you know, be, be um, edified. This is a place to have the Word of God and worship our Savior. But when we go out there, it's a place, take what we've learned, take how we're living and take it out in the world that needs to see that there's a God and He makes a difference in our lives. You see, we need to have that holy fear of the Lord. And then the fourth thing 
And we need to acknowledge your ways. This is what, what um, Judah will find out. Verse 11 it says, Then the Lord said to me, Backsliding Israel has shown herself more righteous than treacherous Judah. Go and proclaim these words towards the north and say, Return backsliding Israel. By the way, backsliding uh, is used more times in uh, Jeremiah chapter 3 than anywhere else in the entire Bible. Return backsliding Israel, says the Lord. I will not cause my anger to fall on you, for I am merciful, says the Lord. I will not remain angry forever. Only acknowledge your iniquity. This is the cry. Only do this. I don't care what you've done. I just want you to hone up to it. That's what he's saying. And that you have transgressed against the Lord your God. You have scattered your charms to alien deities under every green tree, and you have not obeyed my voice, says the Lord. So the Lord told Jeremiah not only to include Israel to the north in this call of repentance, but this letter first written to Judah, and Israel there to be invited so that they too can be restored. And I love that because, listen, God has never forgotten about them. He's never forgotten about them. They're invited to get cleaned up and have this relationship with God restored. And that's just, that just blows me away because it just shows me that God has in mind everyone, a chance for everyone and a desire for everyone to come back to him and be restored. See, I, and I don't want to assume that there are backsliders here, but I'll ask the question anyway, does this speak to us tonight? Where, where have we been and where are we at in our love and our motivation and, and the things that we have? Are we... Or are we not? Are we kind of fading out there? Are we playing the heart outside of the walls of the church? I mean, I don't know. It's like it's not like I think David Gusick said this. He said, "You know, this isn't a one and done deal. You, you don't hear these messages because somebody preached on repentance one time and backsliding and it cured everything <laughs> that time. It just doesn't happen that way." But he says, uh, you know, just as the Bible tells us, he says, you know what, when we come to this place, we find out that God is still gracious, no matter where we've been or what we've done or what we're doing. Restoration is for all of those who have fallen. So not to assume that everybody has, uh, is out there playing the heart of but we never know where people's lives are. Listen, Romans 5.20, Paul wrote this, he said, but where sin abounds, grace abounds much more. I love that. But notice here that he, he says in verses 11 through 18, he says the first part of rec- uh, restoration and reconciliation is to acknowledge our sin before the Lord. We've got to acknowledge it. But he says, only acknowledge your iniquity. I mean, I already know what's going on. I, I just want you to agree with me. And I, I'm cool. I'm ready to forgive you. I'm ready to restore you. But you've got to acknowledge that. You've got to acknowledge where you're at, he says. And, and, you know, to acknowledge our sins before the one who can help us. He's the only one that can help us. And God wanted Judah to know that they had to be real. They had to call sin what it was. Listen, I, the theology doesn't come from CBS or MSNBC. It's got to come from the Bible. Is we have to acknowledge our status as God sees it. Now, remember the prophet Nathan comes over and he talks to... Um, King David. King David had a problem and with the murder of uh, Uriah. And he had Bathsheba, had a child. You know the story. He struggled for a long, I think it was a year to 18 months or however long it went on. And the, the thing here is that he wrote, writes his repentant psalm after he meets with uh, the prophet Nathan. He says this in Psalm 51. 
He said, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies. Blot out my transgression, wash me thoroughly with iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. This is what he wanted. He he wanted that, and any of us would want that. But this is what needed to happen. Verse 3 says, For I acknowledge my transgression, and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight, and that you may be found just uh, when you speak and blameless when you, when you judge. Well, God can do great things with a pliable heart. He's ready to forgive, but it's the thing that God says, look, if you're going to come to me, we, we've got to be on terms. This is what you're doing. Do you recognize what, what it is that you're doing? And I want you to agree with that. I want you to look at it and say, you know what? Um, you need to acknowledge your iniquity. You know, there's something about being quiet before the Lord. Have you guys do this much? I, I do try to do it in the morning if I don't get so keyed up in my mind. But if I sit there and really have a conversation with the Lord, and I begin to talk to Him and allow Him to lead me in the conversation, I'll tell you a lot of times, I'll say, Lord, how's my heart? Have you ever, tried, you ever asked the Lord that? Lord, where's my heart? How is my heart? Spend that time with him and you see what he says. I got a few things I want to talk to you about. I'll never forget it, how the Lord does this. I don't think I'm doing hunky dory. Sunday, great time, man. Lord, it was wonderful. A couple people came to know you. Man, it was just a great time. Monday morning, Lord, search my heart. Yeah, I'm glad you said that. I'm not I'm not here. He's not as joyful as Sunday. Sunday was yesterday's man, but he's looking at Monday saying, Can I talk to you about a few things? And even in my own life, in your own life. Let's just sit there and say, Lord, how am I? How's it going? But he can do great things with a pliable heart. Verse 14 continues, he says, return. He says, return, O backsliding children, says the Lord, for I am married to you. I will take you, one from a city and two from a family, and I will bring you to Zion. And here's the promise, uh, part of the promise, and I will give you shepherds according to my heart who will feed you with knowledge and understanding. So that's part of the blessing. I'm going to bring bring shepherds that are going to be after my heart. They're going to give you the nutrients. Verse 16, then it shall come to pass when you are multiplied and increase in the land of those days, says the Lord, that they will say no more the ark of the covenant of the Lord. Uh, it shall not come to mind, nor shall they remember it, nor shall they visit it, nor shall it be made anymore. The ark of the covenant was lost. It was destroyed in Judah. In 586 B.C., it wasn't going to be missed. There wasn't going to be another ark made. But the place where it says, in place of the ark will be the throne of the Lord, which will be the city Jerusalem, is what it will be known for. That's going to be the title of the city. Verse 17, he says, And and that time Jerusalem shall be called the throne of the Lord, and all the nations shall be gathered to it, to uh, the name of the Lord, to Jerusalem. No more shall they... Follow the dictates of their evil hearts. Those days the house of Judah shall walk in the house of Israel, uh, walk with the house of Israel, and they shall come together out of the land of the north, the land that I have given as an inheritance to your fathers. So if Israel would return to God, then the Lord would no longer bring, bring, be bringing chastening uh, upon her. But in return, he was going to extend his mercy towards her. That's, that's our God. When we think about, you're such a good, good father. That's who you are. That's who he is. So 
wonderful in his mercy towards us. This is like the children of Judah. And there isn't a backslider that has slid so far down and, and extended himself past where grace would abound. God's grace is still there. God's grace still wants to bring him back. God's grace is in mercy every day. And in verse 19 he says, But I said, how can I put, uh, how can I put you among the children? And give you a pleasant land, a beautiful heritage of the host of nations. And I said, you shall call me my father and not turn from me. Surely as a wife treacherously departs from her husband, you have, uh, you, so you have dealt treacherously with me, O house of Israel, says the Lord. And so again, God just longed for this relationship to be there. That this relationship to be restored. He says, how can I? How can I? Because the roadblock with them coming to Judah, coming to God, wasn't God, wasn't the roadblock. It was Judah. It's always the people. It's not that God has ever moved. It's that we move from Him. He's always the same. Yesterday, today, and, and, and forever. But we come to this place of saying, you know what? God, He says, what can I do? I've always been here. So the, the roadblock is always with us. It's always with the people. It's always with Judah. In this case, God isn't, is, He's not a mean God. Uh, he, he exposed us because he exposes us or calls us in our sin, he's not a mean God because of that. That he doesn't let us get away with our sin. He's rather gracious because though he exposes us, he says, now come to me. Repent of those things. Acknowledge your ways and I want to be gracious to forgive you. See, I think a lot of the times that a lot of uh, legalistic or uh, maybe in the drug and alcohol uh, realm, as they want to teach... Uh, you better have a fear of God. And I will say the same thing. You better have a fear of have a holy fear of God. But we don't have to fear him. Every time we do something wrong, he's not waiting with this gavel to say, now I'm coming after you. You blew it. One too many times. You, I got you, got you, I got you. He's not like that. We got to preach his grace and the, and the forgiveness that he has for us. And that he's there with open arms saying, you know, I know you blow it, but I'm here and I want to bring you back. And that's the thing about God. You know, he said, how can I ask? You're the roadblock. You're the, when we get our mind, oh, God doesn't love me. He's never going to love me. I keep coming back. Or I've always made this thing. I'm going to come back. And here I come back again. He's getting tired of me. I don't think so. He hasn't been tired of me yet. Paul, the Paul called himself the, the worst sinner. I'm the chiefest of sinners. And God's grace abounded for him. See, he always gives us a chance to get things right. He longs for us to come to him. But we have to come on His terms. We come acknowledging our ways. And we come with repentance. Look at verse 21. A voice has heard of the desolate heights, was heard on the desolate heights, weeping in supplication of the children of Israel. For they have perverted their ways. They have forgotten the Lord their God. Return again, you backsliding children, He says. And I will heal your backsliding. Indeed, you, uh, we will come. Uh, indeed, we do come to you. For you are our the Lord our God. And so uh, here's this, as deep as the nation was away from God, as deep as their sin was, they fell into sin. It was the Lord who was always there, ready and willing to pour out His grace in their lives. Every time. That's the way it is. I've done so much, God doesn't love me. No, He does. But they have this repentance that He so wants them to understand that I'm here for you. I'm here. And he's the only one that can clean us up. Only one that can wash away the guilt. Only one that can wash away all the things in our minds that we get ourselves into. The condemnation the enemy wants to bring upon us. And as much as they have forgotten their vows. As much as they have forgotten the, 
the deliverance that he brought them through from the world, as much as they had neglected their relationship with him, listen, he never gave up on them. Has he ever given up on you? Has the Lord ever given up on you? Aren't we so blessed and thankful for that? He's never given up. But he, he's same call though, right? Same call. Where are you at? Come. Where are you at? Come. And I'll tell you, this is how the Lord deals with backsliders. He says, he calls them to come. He doesn't say, go clean yourself up. I want you to get better. I think you can get better. I think you can stop cursing, stop arguing. I think you can stop, you know, doing this, stop, whatever. No, he says, come. That's the cleansing agent. The power of God, the power of the Holy Spirit. He says, you can't do it. I can. I can do it. And I want to do it. The very words that got me saved. How are you going to get off drugs? I don't know, man. I don't know. And God says, if you're trying to do it, I'll do it for you. Why, really? That's so cool to hear. But I'll forgive you of your sin. God says, I'll forgive you. That's what the world needs to know. They're carrying around this bondage. They're, everybody's like a Miley Cyrus out there, just mixed up in all of her minds. And she Pray for her. She needs the Lord too. But that's the way the world is spinning out of control. And we need Jesus. And Jesus says, but if you come to me, if you come to me, I'll forgive you. It doesn't matter what you've done. No matter what you blasted over the internet. Doesn't matter what kind of pictures you've had. You just come to me. That's what he does. Don't try and clean yourself up. You just come and listen. He says, and I will heal you of your backsliding. You know the pain and suffering that comes when somebody backslides? The resentment, the guilt, all that trip, all the hurt, the aches and the pains. But God says, I'll heal you of those things. The children of Israel found themselves weeping because of their rebellion and perversion. When I think about that, I think of Nehemiah chapter 8. Nehemiah chapter 8, when Ezra started reading the word out to them, they began to weep. Why? Because they said, that's God's word. And now I realize how it got me in the situation I'm in. I've neglected that word. I haven't had that word for a long time, and it feels so refreshing. They began to cry and weep over it. Look at verse 23. It says, truly in vain is salvation hoped for from the hills and from the multitudes of mountains. Truly, and the Lord our God is the salvation of Israel. For shame has devoured the labor of our fathers from our youth, their flocks and uh, their herds, their sons and their daughters. We lie down in our shame and we reproach, and our reproach covers ourselves. We have sinned against the Lord our God, we and our fathers from our youth, even to, to, even to this day. And we and, and have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God. Model for repentance. You see, she, Judah, is determined to come to God because of who he is. When you hear those words, I care where you've been, just come. When you hear those words, I don't have to hide it, I don't have to mask it, just come. And this is a message, again, for the world. I read the news for the, our, our city, our county, our communities. I read the news. I see it out there. And it's a message that I take to people. I'm so um, strong about it. Jesus wants to heal you. You've got to want Him. He wants to heal you. And Judah had to come to the place that where, again, she would acknowledge her sin and then her idolatrous turmoil that she had been in and that had been rampant in the land. And then she looks to heaven and says, you know what, God, there is salvation. It's only in you. There is forgiveness. 
Okay, we can live lives today, church, that are so much better than being walking around in condemnation. And when I look at a, a passage like this, I say, you know, are there backsliders in a church? Are there backsliders at fellowship? Yeah, there are. But there are also backsliders that aren't coming. They don't hear the word and they're out there and we need to let them know, man, you know that God's grace is real. They're heaping condemnation upon themselves. They're heaping all the pain upon themselves. It's crazy. Tonight, I think it would just be good for us as Gabe comes and he's going to lead us in worship. And and, and I'm going to read a passage, just a scripture, but I want to do it as we think about these things and then we'll come and we'll partake of the elements. We'll come and get them and take them back to our seats. Warren Worsby says this and he he speaks, he reminds us and how this all speaks to us today. In Scripture, he says, sickness is one of the main metaphors for sin. Like an infection in entering the bloodstream, sin secretly gets into the system of the inner man and goes to work, goes to work weakening and destroying. It gradually infects the whole system, producing spiritual lassitude and loss of spiritual appetite. And if not cared for, the sin sickness can be led to dire consequences. When we hear about believers suddenly falling into open sin, in most cases a gradual slide preceded the sudden fall. God offers to heal not just the symptoms of their backsliding, but the backsliding itself. The false prophets dealt only with the symptoms and announced a false peace that gave the people a false confidence. But a true physician of souls will tell the truth and seek to lead sinners to genuine spiritual healing that comes from honest confession and repentance. Let's not assume, but let's not just blow through here and just say, oh, can't wait to get home. i got to watch the end of the World Series. Let's take some time in the quietness of our hearts as we come and take communion and allow the Lord to search our own hearts. And to look and say, God, where am I? I do that in my own heart. Lord, where am I? I don't want to... You know what? It's not that somebody falls into sin. It's that they were headed that way. And there may be someone here tonight that the Lord is saying, you know what? Better be careful. That's not where I want you to go. And that's going to lead to a deeper trap. May the Lord remind us of that tonight. Quietness of our hearts. So, Gabe, come on up. Lead us. We have the communion up here. And uh, as Gabe starts playing, let me just pray. And you guys can come grab the elements. Take them back to your, your seat. Spend some time with Jesus and we'll partake of them together. Father, we look at your word in such a... We hope you've enjoyed spending this time in God's word and our prayer is that you'll take it with you and apply it to your life. If you'd like to learn more about Calvary Longview, visit our website at cclongview.com. While you're there, you can find more teachings, request prayer, or even find out how you can get involved with what God is doing in our city. We hope you have an amazing day. We'll see you back here next time. And remember, Jesus loves you, and so do we.